Today on The Topping Show, Hollywood on strike as the actors join the writers. South Park perfectly predicts the trans bathroom debate nine years ago, and it now goes viral again on Twitter. Disney and Netflix fire their DEI leaders. Megan Rapinoe says Dave Chappelle is the cause for trans violence. Megan Rapinoe versus Riley Gaines on social media. Disney parks are darn near empty. Disney loses $300 million on two films. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs reboot will now have a not-so-white Snow White. No Prince Charming and One Dwarf. Appeals court blocks order for the government to stop coordinating with social media companies for censorship. The FDA says aspartame is safe. Amazon Prime breaks records. Chipotle tests out a guacamole robot. Meta blocks the Threads app in the European Union. Lily acquiring Varanus and Threads app is coming a little bit of unraveled and untethered. All that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of the Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special purpose in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner and you need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Chipotle testing guacamole robots. Now, actually sounds quite horrific if you have robots made of guacamole that would be perhaps creating life when life didn't exist but no more accurately they created robots to actually cut and sort the guacamole so last week they really revealed a state-of-the-art new robot that they call the autocado which is a brilliant pun obviously being the avocado now that gets an A-plus for marketing, partially because it's hilarious, and it also tells you exactly what the machine does, and is. Now, the machine can cut and peel avocados twice as fast as a human worker, and the robot was developed in partnership with a robot startup company by the name of Vebu Labs, and they did it in partially to the response of the combat against the short labor shortage, where you had the government paying people not to work during COVID, so kind of messed up with the supply chain there. And well, not the supply chain, rather the supply, rather. But it looks like Chipotle also orders a hundred million pounds of avocados each year, which that is more truckloads of avocados than I could possibly fathom. Now, the company did stress that the actual application of the avocado on your toast or whatever people put it on these days will be done by an artist and or you know actual human behind the counter. But it is fascinating to see this new technology and. And we'll certainly give them a competitive advantage if they have exclusion they have an exclusive relationship with this robotics company and they're the only restaurant that actually has that capabilities that can also give them a competitive advantage above the rest and when asked for comment they actually said that they have a washing machine robot that's currently in the works they want to start maybe rolling that out as well since of course robots can work a lot faster do not require breaks unions or extra pay there's a lot of advantages to that, and of course, that would actually enable the other workers to have more interactions with the customers. And in terms of my three cents when it comes to businesses growing and developing, there are a lot of tasks that can now, especially with this robot, can easily be automated, but it'll enable the workers to make a little, make everything work a little bit better, and also enable them to hopefully give a better customer experience with the actual human customers that they have for now. Now, other interesting business news, you have Amazon Prime breaking new records. now is disgusting. I don't know if you call it a cultural appropriation or just Americans losing touch with the reality, but so many people forget that Amazon Prime originally 
had to deal with Transformers and the sacrifice of Optimus Prime. He gave his life for you. And you had this big business culturally appropriate that from the Transformers community. And Jeff Bezos just took that away. Don't forget what the real Prime Day is really all about. Honoring Optimus Prime. The real OG truck. May he rest in peace. Now, in all seriousness, a lot of people are speculating why they had one of the record-breaking days for people purchasing crap they don't need on the internet. Well, I guess they do have some staples, but it always fab it always really blows my mind when everyone complains about we do have 40-year hyperinflation, wages are some people say they're stagnant, some people say they're struggling to find work, everyone's worried about expenses going up, but they still buy crap they don't need. And it blows my mind. And granted, you could say there are staples on there because they do have some food products. And they also bought Whole Foods, but that's really not a necessity. That's a luxury, nice thing to have is Whole Foods. They have some good, they have wholesome foods or Whole Foods, some might say. But again, it's not a necessity. Now, many people are speculating that one of the reasons they had a big explosion in sales this year was partially because of the advertising they did on the viral app called the TikTok, which has more users every, every single day, apparently. And people are glued to those machines. like They're addicted to that. Now, the first day of the promotion was July 11th, and it claimed to be the single largest sales days in the company history for Amazon, which is an astronomical feat of success when you consider every year they seem to be breaking records with people buying more and more and more things on the e-commerce platform. So to keep that momentum up and increase it, huge business achievement for members. Now, they also know that Prime members purchased more than 375 million items worldwide during the event, which is up from the previous record Last year was 300 million items. So not only are they purchasing more in terms of fiscally, they're buying more, which you could also attribute to inflation, cost of goods going up, but actually increasing the number of items that they're buying. I can't fathom 375 million items. And that's not a little humble brag. I'm part of the 1% of people who do not have Amazon Prime because it is a non-necessity that it doesn't matter if your item gets here in two to three days, you don't need it in 24 hours. But that's just my three cents. Used to be two cents for this damn four-year hyperinflation. Gotta charge three. I should charge four, but I'm a generous man. Three cents. Now, analysts also estimates that Amazon revenue grew for the event ranged between 15 and 21% compared to Prime Day last year. Granted, they're a publicly traded company. We'll know this when they release their quarterly statements. And right now, you just have analysts a little bit more speculating since we don't have the raw data in real time. But a huge astronomical, astronomical achievement. And Tax will tell to see if Amazon can keep up this unprecedented momentum as they build out their e-commerce platform even more and provide even more value to their clients as they have more and more of an ecosystem to actually deliver the goods as well and keeping those costs down. So it'll be fascinating to see them continue to grow. Now, other interesting business use, you have Meta blocking the Threads app in the European Union. Now, this is after a couple of folks in the EU complained that, oh, they, they can't reach this new, this new addictive app. I can't get it. Oh, no. What will they ever do? Now, in all seriousness, they complained that they couldn't get the app, and they actually had a Facebook, Meta, whatever you want to call it, parent company now, representative reach out and respond, and they said, quote, Threads is not currently available in most countries in the Europe, and we've taken additional steps to prevent people from, people based there from accessing it at this time. Europe continues to be an incredibly important market for Meta, and we hope to make Threads available there in the future, unquote. Now, this is according to a Meta employee interview with the company interviewing them known as TechCrunch. And I also noticed that under EU data law or data protection law, 
Meta requires a valid legal basis to process such personal data legally for ad targeting and an area where the company is facing increased uncertainty following a recent court, court of justice ruling. That's a fancy way of saying the privacy data laws in the European Union are much more strict over there compared to the United States. So tech companies need to jump for a little bit more hoops. And some tech companies actually cannot operate there at all depending on their business model. It'll be interesting to see how much Facebook has to finagle through all these hoops to jump through in order to have their product pushed out there. And it is also one of those things that I think you'll see with this, Elon has this issue as well, as other companies are cracking down on free speech. He's unfortunately, it sounds like he's gonna to have to censor based on those countries or otherwise they'll block it. It should be noted, interesting that traditionally you just get around it with a VPN. Famously, the country of Russia, they ban a lot of social media apps, including things like Facebook. But when you talk to citizens of Russia, it's kind of a social norm where it's officially banned, but everyone uses a VPN or a virtual private network to pretend they're in another country and Russia doesn't really crack down on the use of those VPNs. Now, in this case, Meta is actually taking steps where if they notice you're using a VPN over in the EU, they just kind of they block it anyway. So it's an interesting difference where Facebook seems to be going a little bit further than the average tech company may be, also because Facebook has a copious amounts of money in the cash reserves, so they're a much bigger target than Twitter, which Twitter is still trying to break even and someday make a profit. That's another business topic in and of itself. We'll see if Elon could actually pull that nosedive back up. Now, other interesting business news, you have Lily to acquire Varanus. Now, this acquisition is an attempt to grow out their patient outcomes in cardiometabolic cardio diseases. Now, Varonis actually, there's a tech company called Varonis, which I'm very familiar with, but this one is called Ver, Versanus. Not the best marketing since I can't pronounce it off the cuff. Now, Varanus is a private clinical stage biopharmaceutical company focused on the development of new medications for the treatment of cardiometabolic diseases. Now, their lead asset that they are known for is the Bima Gruab, which is monoclonal antibody that binds activism type 2 A and B receptors to block activin and myostin signaling. Bio Bingrumalab is currently being assessed in the bleed, in the bleed phase 2B study alone and the combination with the semiglutitude in adults who are overweight or obese. Which is a fancy way of saying Lily, Lily, the pharmaceutical company, is buying a company to increase their capabilities around the largest issue in the United States. Pun in and of itself, it's a large issue, obesity in the United States. It's one of the main causes of death in the United States, which is something that everyone should get involved in is more active, you know, healthy diet and exercise. From a cultural perspective, that's something we should probably look into and actually praise as opposed to calling people who exercise on the far right, which is a ridiculous thing. I, I um, will probably report on a little bit later where that's that's trending on social media. They're claiming, yeah, I, I digress for now. But let me just see what Lily does with the new intellectual property once the sale goes through and how it incorporates into the company. Maybe it'll be an independent subsidiary or they just absorb the whole thing. This pros and cons to each approach. Time to tell to see which one they choose. Now, going on to the cultural part of the podcast, you have Hollywood on strike as the actors join, actors and actresses join the writers' unions. Now, previously, the writers have been on strike, and I, I know we probably all knew and cared about it for weeks. I'm kidding. Obviously, no one cares because it really doesn't affect your daily life. Now, the Writers Guild, or whatever they call themselves, their gang, I mean union, they've been on strike for, I think, several weeks now with uh, copious amounts of unrealistic demands. And now the actors and actresses are actually joining them. Now, I believe it's the first time in a few decades where you actually, actually, no, it's the first time since the 1960s with the actors and the writers actually both 
working in tandem and striking going on strike together. And you have terrible actress by the name of Franz Drescher, which she does. I shouldn't say she's terrible. She is very good at her job. When she was in the sitcom Friends, she was the insufferable girlfriend of Chandler Bing, and she's known for having that very nasal voice. So she does her role well, but some people are just so they're so good at acting, or maybe that's just who she is in real life. But nevertheless, when asked for comment, and of course she's an actress, she said, "Quote: We are the victims here." Unquote. Which. It's hilarious to think anyone in Hollywood elites like herself would consider herself a victim when they like they make more money in a single movie than most people make in their entire lives. Now, the biggest demand that the two groups are really pushing for is they want a complete ban on artificial intelligence, also known as AI in Hollywood. Probably because they know that it will do their jobs infinitely better than they themselves can do. Now, when it comes to the intricacies of the exact components of AI that they want to have banned from Hollywood, they want to make sure that AI cannot write or rewrite literally material. They also make sure it cannot be used to source material. And they want to make sure an MBA covered material can't be used to train AI. Now, some the conspiracy theory or the interesting theory would be they replaced all these, moron, these um, writers, very talented writers, decades ago with computers. Since most Hollywood films these days are nothing but pejorative copy-paste. The best example being Walt Disney, where it seems like all they do is Control-V, or copy-paste. And their movies are simply a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, which, fun little home experiment, every time you do that, you degrade the actual image. And in their case, the intellectual property and the actual quality of the material. A good example would be the Transformers movies, too. Cars turn into robots, things go boom. I just told you the most accurate description of every single Transformers movie to date. I think they're up to eight or nine. Now they have animals turning into robots. So uh, some might say they're evolving a little bit, but Michael Bay is a very talented director. Big explosions go boom. I just summarized his entire acting class, or that's it. that'd be his directing class if you were to take a directing class from him. So you already have these films being so boring. Every movie is basically the same. These writers see the writing on the wall, they know robots will do the job better than them because they're already just copy-pasting everything they do these days, basically. And it'll be interesting to see, as we have CGI and you have quantum, the more compute power we have, the cheaper it gets, the easier it will be to actually have full CGI and deep fakes of actors and just make a movie completely automatically. That's not outside the realm of possibility, especially next within our lifetime. It's It'll be interesting to see how it actually comes to the forefront. Now, interestingly enough, Bob Iger, the CEO, current CEO of Disney, he noted that the writers and the writer and the actors unions have unrealistic expectations with their strikes, and they're only adding to the industry disruptions which by taking such actions. Now, I don't say this often. Actually, I might not say this ever, but he has a good point. They, from a business perspective, this is what a lot of people have issues when it comes to union gangs. I mean, unions. They only want the upside. They never want the risk. So they want to have a disproportionate amount of profits. But if the company loses money, they will never offer to give up a single penny, even though the company might go out of business. Now, Disney in particular, are, that company's bleeding money left and right. I mean, good example would be Indiana Jones, which was ruined. Actually, ironically, it was ruined because of Hollywood writers. So actually, he should probably be like, oh yeah, I don't need you anymore. I mean, look what you did to all my intellectual property. You destroyed him. Successfully losing money on all those movies. Now, when asked to elaborate during an interview on CNBC's Squawk Box, which 
is separate from the view. I did a little bit of research and I thought they, I thought that was the other term for the view, but it is a separate entity apparently. And when asked during the interview, David Saber from the Sun Capitalist Audio and asked him more, you had Bob say, quote, it's very disturbing to me. We've talked about these disruptive forces on this business and all the challenges we're facing, the recovery from the, the virus from China, if I say it, it might get banned, which is ongoing and not completely back. This is the worst time in the world to add that disruption, Bob Iger said. He continued saying, quote, I understand any labor organization's desire to work on behalf of its members to get the most compensation and to be compensated fairly based on the value that they deliver. We've managed as an industry to negotiate a very good deal with the Directors Guild that reflects the values that the directors contribute to this great business. We want to do the same thing with the writers and we'd like to do the same thing with the actors. There's a level of expectation that they have that is just not re realistic. And they're adding to the set of the challenges that this business is already facing that is quite frankly, very disruptive, unquote. Now, Bob has a lot of great points in that because the industry is being disrupted. Rewind the clock back maybe five, 10 years, really all you need to do to make it a copious amount of money in terms of Hollywood and movies is an A-list actor and half a script and they would just knock it out of the park and they'd all make copious amounts of money. Nowadays, there's less and less A-list actors that can actually propel a movie to new heights. You have your outliers like Tom Cruise. If you put him in anything, he'll print money for pretty much the dawn of time. But you have the formula changing in Hollywood. You also have huge amounts of competition. Nowadays, anyone with a webcam or a cell phone can produce content and entertainment. Well, I would say this is one of the best, the topping show. But there's a lot more competition. You didn't have this option 20 years ago. You had to have a dedicated news station. Now, everyone has the opportunity to be an entertainer. So you have increased competition. You also have streaming. That's changing the whole equation for Hollywood because depending on the intellectual property, it, not, it might not even be financially viable to make a movie. You saw this big trend when I was growing up, one of the biggest categories for movies were parodies of movies. I believe, I'm trying to remember, there are a couple of movies where all they did was make, they did a parody of 300. And there's a whole fascinating feud, really unique offering at the time. But on the downside, I believe those movies on average would make maybe between 40 and $80 million. And thanks to f streaming and illegal downloading, it's one of those things where you don't see those anymore on the silver screen. The only thing you see at a movie theater for the most part these days are Hollywood blockbusters. And those take a lot more risk because those take an enormous amount of investment from the, the upfront cost to make a Hollywood blockbuster film. Look, I would love to know the CGI or the, just the budget for the computers to make an intro for a Marvel movie. They have whole data centers of servers, storage, networking, all working together so they can actually make it look realistic and look at really fancy. That's a huge upfront cost and it's a risk. You don't know if you're gonna make that money back. And given the talent of writers that did just need these days, they aren't making that money back. They're losing money. So you have ever more, you have an exponential amount of competition, decreased capabilities from the actors. The whole equation is being changed, which is why they're scared to death that they'll be replaced. Because I guarantee you, you're going to have a lot of automation disrupt a lot of jobs. Yes, it will create new jobs as well as technology has done since the dawn of time. But I think a lot of these writers and actors, and they're all worried they don't know how to adapt. And a wise man once said, adapt or die.
It'll be interesting to see where they go from there. Now, other fascinating cultural news, you have South Park perfectly predicting the future debate that is the trans bathrooms, or rather the use of bathrooms by people with different gender identities wanting to use different bathrooms, which in the United States, the big, the controversy that you most see in the United States is when a man decides to identify as a female and biological man will go into a female bathroom. The results are, of course, horrific, especially in the case of yeah, Loudoun County, where you had a offender repeat, a multiple repeat offender. I'm trying to think of a nice um, way of saying this without getting banned on YouTube, performed the most disgusting acts that humanity has ever seen on a woman, and the school covered it up because they didn't want to have the message that this was not a good idea because the school was pushing to have the cross usage of the bathrooms. United States, it's a big cultural debate on where do they go, what laws, what cultural norms regulate it. And it used to be back in the day, you had the Simpsons, there's a cliche, the Simpsons did it, but also you have the Simpsons making a lot of predictions come true. Now that show has gone down the toilet for the past decade. I don't even remember the last time someone's even spoken about that. But South Park seems to have supplanted them both as a cultural entertainment piece, but also at predicting things. So this actually episode came out October 8th in 2014, which was so far ahead of the cultural conversation. It was, everyone thought it was outlandish. And of course, South Park is a comedy, so everyone thought it was a joke. I mean, this was way before you had the big cultural pivot point in the conversation where we had, I forget what his name is, the Leah Thomas, who went from the 400 something male swimmer, then decided Leah would become Leah, no surgeries to the transition, just put on a different suit. And all of a sudden, Leah was the number one swimmer in college, in collegiate uh, swimming. Going from the 400th best to the best because this individual switched from competing with men to the women's division. Who would have thought it would happen? And that moment um, in the athletics, that led to a greater conversation in the United States with what is equality what is versus what is equity what it what's really fair so i'll play this quick little clip and let me see here you have cartman basically deciding he doesn't want to wait for the bathroom anymore in the male's bathroom so put on a bow and go to the women's bathroom So all Cartman did was put a little pink bow on his hat, which is culturally speaking, that's why many people have critiqued Dylan Mulvaney, where Dylan Mulvaney changed the clothing. No other physical, uh, chemical uh, drugs or surgeries accompanying it, which is why some people questioned Dylan's authenticity, which led to more of the debate culturally around the whole initiatives. What the hell do you think you're doing? I'm going to the party. I need to tell you something, Wendy. I'm transgender. What? <laughs> Did you notice the bow? I'm not comfortable. Transgender. I think in this case, you're also talking about hair color, perhaps? With the sex I was assigned at birth, so I'm exercising my right to identify with the gender of my choice. Now get out of my way. I have to take a shit. Oh, he did just perfectly summarize the debate. Or the, uh, yeah. Get out of here! Don't give me more issues than I already have, Wendy. Oh, wow. This is nice in here. Girls' bathrooms are a lot cleaner than boys. 
That is a real issue in the United States. Why are the women's bathrooms always cleaner than the men's? The bathroom inequality is certainly abhorrent. I mean, the cleanliness, that, that's not very fair. But no one ever wants to bring that topic up because they're not brave enough to talk about the real issues. What the hell is that? Cartman is using our bathroom. Dude, this is awesome. I should have used the girls' bathroom a long time ago. Hey, I'm going to tell on you. It's okay, Red. I can take a shit here. I'm a dumb chick, too. I want to know just what makes you think it's okay to go inside the girls' bathroom. Because I'm transgender. I looked it up. That means I can use the girls' shitter. You are not transgender, Eric. You don't even know what that means. Yeah, huh? It means I live a life of torture and confusion because society sees me as a boy, but I'm really a girl. All right. Well, if you identify yourself as a girl, you must find yourself attracted to boys. This is another really, during the cultural debate, a very unusual um, point that people will go back and forth of. Wait, this doesn't make sense. Is that right? That's actually not true. I can be transgender without it having anything to do with the gender I'm attracted to. Check the state bylaws. And it actually is laws in some areas. So like Leah Thomas, the swimmer, who went from 400th best to number one, actually also dates women. All right, listen, Eric. Erica. Listen, Eric. You must know why we can't... In Michigan, that school principal, $10,000 fine and she's a felon. Because not, she's not respecting Cartman's name. He wanted to be called uh, Cartmana, or what was it? Either way, that is now the House of Representatives in Michigan passed that law. And have you in the girls' bathroom? All I know is I'm transgender, and you can't make me go to the bathroom with the cisgenders. With the what? Cis. It has nothing to do with sisters. That's not what the cis means in this case. Uh, that's what I thought that. I think Urban Dictionary taught me, or I learned that. Gender. It's the politically correct name for people who aren't transgender. If you identify with the sex you were born with, then you're cis. But then cisgender... Isn't that cultural appropriation from sisters in terms of that? That's a uh, uh, term for them? It's normal. Saying normal is extremely offensive to people who aren't in that group. Trust me, you don't want this hot potato. Just and that's how culturally speaking this has come to more and more of a forefront of a debate because for many years that kind of the status quo from facilities perspective the bathroom in that particular many schools just kind of decided to decide to go with the flow because they didn't want the negative pr so that's why in my opinion one of the reasons you've seen the increased usage of these uh, the cross use of bathrooms because a lot of all these companies are too scared to actually say anything and it's only recently the debate's been reinvigorated to have more of a conversation around it. Just let him use the girls' room. But this isn't a hurting, confused child we're talking about. This is Eric Cartman. Nobody else is gonna know that. You better just give him what he wants. So Eric Cartman just has us in some kind of bathroom checkmate? Actually, it's more like a royal flush. Ha, huh, potty humor. That's kind of funny. Now, within, wow, a couple days, it's got 12.5 million views. Also, 71.2 thousand hearts or likes, 10,000 re retweets, and 7,627 bookmarks. So, needless to say, it is exponentially trending on the social media. It'll be interesting to see from a cultural perspective. Is Does that mean that now it's okay to have an open debate about this topic? Where years ago, if you even so much as questioned the, the legitimacy of it or the comfort level of the females who are there 
who they they might not they don't feel safe in this instance. I, I thought that was their safe space. But does that mean now culturally now you'll have a more open debate? I, I certainly hope so, since the United States was founded on free the free exchange of ideals, and it used to be back in the day. I may not believe what you are saying, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it. And time shall tell to see if those conversations do bubble to the top these days. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have Disney and Netflix firing their diversity, equity, inclusion staff. Now, this is unprecedented from a large company scale. It's one of those things where it very quickly became a staple of Fortune 500 companies. And from a marketing perspective, it was quite attractive because they're increasing the sample size of their employees with certain diversities and certain folks. So from marketing and a standpoint, they made sense. They also get loans based on this. There are many reasons why large companies adopted these initiatives and also government contracts. So there are many layers to the cake, some might say, although I don't eat cake because I'm a man. So perhaps more accurately be there's more layers to the onion when I'm extravagant, I want to buy an onion. That, that was perhaps more of an apt metaphor. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had Disney fire their chief diversity officer by the name of Latandra Newton. And now we have Warner Brothers, Disney, and Netflix all joining that. Now, the New York Post noted that, quote, equity activists are outraged at Disney Netflix for forcing their DEI chiefs out while they're accusing corporate America of, quote, corporate blackface, unquote, and running out of, quote, white guilt. Huh. I thought that was a pejorative term you weren't supposed to use those anymore, but perhaps I'm just more sensitive than them. Now, it looks like between June 20th and July 3rd, at least five executives overseeing the DEI initiatives at Disney, Netflix, and Warner Bros. and Disney left their posts. Now, interestingly enough, and somewhat ironic, all of them were African-American women. So, no men there. That, that doesn't sound like diversity to me. Not a single Cuban? I'm outraged. Well, not really, because I don't have... My ethnicity isn't the forefront of who I am. It's what you do that defines who you are, but that's just me. And interestingly enough, in terms of the cultural response to this, you're not seeing anything on LinkedIn. Now, owning a small business and being in sales, is to, I spend a fair amount of time on LinkedIn, and they usually have a couple of good business articles. Unfortunately, a lot of them are more politically charged to skew to the left ideologically. So you gotta filter out some of it, but you always wanna know what other people are saying. Now, I didn't see a single outreach article about this, and I find it fascinating that this is one of the few times where I was for sure thought there was gonna be whole pages of the website dedicated to this outrage, but there really wasn't. And I wonder if these companies were losing money because of the initiatives, or was it causing a toxic workplace? What was the business reason for doing this? Because nothing's random in business. Every Every layoff, every hire, every marketing decision, everything is strategic. Some of them are strategically blind, like Bud Light, but they, uh, there's a vision nevertheless. And a lot of people, um, culturally speaking, on the middle and the right are saying this is a big victory as they see the pendulum swinging a little bit back towards the center where you know, we rewind the clock back in the day, you'd hire people only based on their merit and these DEI initiatives were skewing the hiring processes. So some of them are celebrating this and it'll be interesting to see, are they just, are they gonna hire new DEI? Are they are scrapping, scrapping, scrapping the projects completely? I mean, I don't know, it's very unusual to say the least, especially with these large companies 
it'll be interesting to see where do they go from, what do they do from here time shall tell other interesting cultural news you have Reagan Megan Rapinoe versus Dave Chappelle now Megan spells her name wrong to begin with so M-E-G-H-A-N and Rapinoe she's not a rapper I looked into this she is a soccer player ridiculous Rapinoe I mean, it's almost as silly as calling something topping. Oh, wait. Damn. Now, you may remember her as a soccer player who said that they deserve to be paid more because she was on a women's soccer team. And she was complaining how much the men's soccer team make, which is hilarious and inaccurate in terms of your sport doesn't matter. Physically speaking. Now, the biggest contention I have when it comes to female athletics complaining about not making as much as the men do is because... It's not sexist, it's capitalism. Because the men's team generate more audience members to tune in. And that's where these companies make a lot of their money is the advertising dollars. You also have the merchandise. You also have the food at the stadium games. And when you only have three people cheering on the WNBA or the women's soccer team, you can't make that much money off of selling those three people 18 hot dogs. They can only eat so much before their belts completely explode. Now, keep in mind the United States has about a 50-50 split between men and women. So if all the women went out there and tuned to these sports, they would make just as much as the, as the men's team, presumably. But these soccer teams, they actually argue they should make, they actually, I think they got a portion of the men's winnings when the men's team won the World Cup, which I thought was part of the Harry Potter world because of the Triwizard Cup, the Cups. But no, it's actually it's something globally known as soccer or football. But they, I digress. It's an interesting sport, some would say. But... She was saying, oh yeah, we should make just as much of them, even though no one tunes into our sport. Most of these companies are losing money when it comes to female athletics. Again, if every woman, every woman in the United States just went and attended those games, they'd all be making just as much or presumably more than men. Now, it looks like following the United States Women's U, USWNT. C- for marketing. What the heck? You have to explain that to me 12 times. Maybe. United States Women's network team what nevertheless that's their olympic team apparently and they actually lost their match against sweden late in july and rapino spoke out using the olympics as a platform to raise awareness about social justice which again sports politics business politics they don't like to work together if you want to make the most amount of money you make a product that appeals to everyone that's more often than not the most successful business use case unless you're a specific political commentator or you're making a product for a, a niche part industry. But again, people will go to a soccer game. Those three people in the audience watching her, they don't want to listen to her talk about politics. They want to see her pretend to run or kick the ball or watch it, see what color hair she has that day. But she's recently retiring and I know all three fans in the audience will be very disappointed. And... She is also becoming more politically active in her belief that biological men should play in women's sports. And also talking about pulling the ladder up behind you. And she was saying, quote, you're taking a real woman's place. That's part of the argument that is extremely transphobic. I see trans women as real women, unquote. Megan Rapinoe. Good thing there's no advantages to men playing soccer on a women's team. Because men aren't faster, stronger, statistically speaking, on average. What could possibly go wrong? Maybe, maybe rugby will be another one to do. Now, 
she said also, quote, it's particularly frustrating when women's sports is weaponized. Oh, now we care about fairness. Now we care about women's sports. That's total BS. And show me all the trans people who are nefariously taking advantage of being trans in sports. It's just not happening, unquote. Not happening? What do you mean? This is literally the most pejorative, it's the most simplistic and unrealistic political argument you hear with a lot of things these days. First they say, it's not happening. Then then they, then they when you say, oh wait, I have examples here, here, and here, they say, okay, it's happening, but it does affect you. Why do you care? And then you say, oh, it's happening. You should be proud. You should embrace this. You have to embrace this. That's usually the political manipulation, I mean, ideology of certain people when pushing certain ideas. Now, when she say it's not happening, I just spoke recently in the show, one of the most prolific collegiate examples is Leah Thomas taking away a trophy from Riley Gaines. Now, Riley Gaines is a female uh, collegiate athlete in swimming. That happened. That was a very, that's a real world example. Also, when Leah Thomas was competing, they're bumping people off those podiums. So girls are losing sponsorships to Leah. That's an example right there. It's also happening in high school athletics. You also have Olympic records being broken by biological men outlift powerlifting, and they're going to those competitions and just crushing it, to overcoming the current world record held by biological women by 20, 30, 40 percent. So it's happening in many areas of athletics. So her argument, like most arguments and most things she said, is preposterous and not true. Now, now they have a little bit of background into who Re Megan Rapino is. Oh, she also famously likes to kneel during the, the then the kneel during the anthem, which of course ironic because only in the United States when she actually make money at a sport that loses money. That's probably the ultimate privilege to be in a country, complain about the country, the only country in the world you can succeed at, and yet you're complaining you're here. Now, recently she's decided to target Dave Chappelle, making jokes against trans people. And she claims that it's because of Dave Chappelle that it directly leads to violence against the trans community, whether it's verbal or otherwise against trans, trans people. And she continues to say, when Marta or Sage or whoever are talking about this, People aren't hearing it just in the context of elite sports. They're saying, the rest of my life, this is how I'm going to treat trans people. Now, criticism of Dave Chappelle has been that way for several, I'd say probably over a decade since he actually speaks his mind as independent. It also shows how, much, how little you should respect Megan Rapinoe. I, I was going to say it's not much to begin with. Her two fans, and there used to be three fans of the audience cheering her on. Unfortunately, now that she's attacked Dave Chappelle, only two fans in the audience or in the big stadium actually care about her anymore. Now, it's ridiculous to say this, especially because, and it's a very heartbreaking story in terms of Dave Chappelle and his friend who is trans, he actually met a trans comedian. And it's one of those instances where her name was Daphne. He took her under his wing, had Daphne open for him a couple times, and they became friends. And all of a sudden, someone in, someone on the social media attacked Dave Chappelle. And it was heartbreaking because Daphne actually stood up for Dave Chappelle, which some would say takes real balls to do that. Pun intended, but also a good person. Because a wise man once said, your character is not truly known until it's tested. Most people, unfortunately, if you're attacked on social media, if the tide is against you, your so-called friends won't stand up for you. Only the true friends who are truly there for you, they'll stick up for you. 
They won't leave you when it's inconvenient to be your friend. Daphne stood up for Dave Chappelle. And Daphne was attacked and ostracized by the, the mob. She subsequently killed herself. That's what the, the nice warm mob gave to Daphne. Because she didn't agree, she stood up for someone. They bullied her to, no, to an unlimited extent. Subsequently, she took her own life, or his own life. I, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I forget which, well, which side of the aisle she transitioned to, but, or he transitioned to, but how heartless is that? Dejavel's friend died, and you dare say he doesn't care about the trans community? He makes fun of everyone. One of the best things comedians do is, the best comedians ever, they make fun of all groups of people. Dave Chappelle brilliantly points out how you're not allowed to make fun of certain people, and he leans into that fact, and he makes some brilliant observations. Comedy seems to be the final frontier when it comes to free speech. He doesn't hate anyone, except maybe specific assholes. He doesn't hate, excuse my French, he doesn't hate groups of people. He just wants to make fun of everyone equally, and treat everyone equally. That is American. It'll be interesting to see those two fans in the stadium still cheering on Mega Rapno, how long will they stay? Soon, perhaps it might be one. Time shall tell. Now, other cultural news you have Mega Rapino versus Riley Gaines, which, of course, Mega Rapino is the retired soccer player who says she believes biological men should be able to play in women's sports. And Riley Gaines is the antithesis to that. Riley Gaines is a biological female swimmer who went up against the transitioned, or actually, no. Leigh Thomas, Leigh Thomas did not transition. Leigh Thomas just decided to be categorized as a woman, I believe, with the data I have here. And of course, yeah, 400th best. Leigh Thomas in the men's division to number one. And they actually tied, which shows you how strong Riley Gaines is. She actually tied Leigh Thomas. And the pivotal moment in her experience with this cultural uh, issue or topic is the judges at the NCAA or the College Collegiate Athlete Association. They said, oh yeah, um, we're going to give the, you, can both, you can both take pictures of the trophy because you tied, but we're going to give the trophy to Alea because we, we need Alea to get all the pictures and the glory. And Riley, she actually did what few would do is stand up for her beliefs. She also revealed the corruption that is college athletes and the brainwashing where they had Leah Thomas come to the team and change in the same changing room as biological females and the school blamed the biological females for feeling uncomfortable and they offer counseling. If they feel uncomfortable, we will offer you counseling because you're the one that's insane, insinuating. Now, most, most of the team actually acquiesced to the school. They didn't want to cause any waves. They were scared to be socially ostracized. Riley Gaines did the rare thing and stood up for what she believed in. Something that is all too rare these days, unfortunately. Now, recently we had a little spout on the Twitterverse where you have Riley Gaines going head-to-head -head against the mediocre soccer player, Mega Rapino. Now, it looks like the discussion starts with Mega Rapino saying, quote, Today, politicians in D.C. are claiming, quote, protect women's sports, quote, by pushing that by pushing a trans and intersex sports ban, call your congressional rep today and say women's sports need protection from unequal pay. 
sexual abuse and lack of resources, not from trans kid, hashtag let kids play. That's what uh, Megan Rapino said. Which I think I already told you about the pay. If you have a smart audience, again, she has three people, oh, sorry, two people left in the stadium who still cheer her on. You can't make as much money because the advertising dollars not there, the merchandising dollars are not there, they don't exist. Don't blame the system for that. Blame the fact that women don't go to the sports games and watch the women's sports. If you did that, presumably they'd make the same or more than men. That's the real reason sports economics, that's really how sports economics works. Anyone with a basic understanding of economics or just even a second grader opening up a lemonade stand would understand that. That is, however, above Megan Rapinoe's intellect. So I shouldn't press. Yeah. Now, Riley Gaines responded to that saying, quote, it's worth noting that one, you are done playing sports competitively, and two, because you aren't sexually attracted to men, you will never have a daughter to defend. Me, to me, this is simply looks at the virtual signaling because you have nothing to personally lose, unquote. Now, I was about to make some type of joke about volleyball, like spite, but she's a swimmer, so I think you might just say breaststroke breast or something. That, that sports needs some better metaphors or better um, puns. That's something to work on in the comment section, perhaps. But it's interesting to see a lot of people are starting to come and support Riley Gaines because, again, people who actually stand up for what they believe in and don't just simply acquiesce to the group think, those people are becoming rarer and rarer. Almost like a knowledge, an anonymous politician. There are maybe two or three in uh, D.C., you gotta really squint and maybe you'll see them, perhaps. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have Disney, their theme parks are darn near empty, which is unprecedented for what used to be considered the happiest place on the planet. Now, it's one of those things where, I'm not gonna say I called it, but yeah, I kinda called it because they recently, I think it was about 18 months ago, they increased the price of their tickets when again, we have 40 year hyperinflation, everyone's freaking out about the economy. They don't know where their paycheck is coming from. And Disney thought this is the perfect time to raise the price of our tickets. Because of course the food and the drinks and everything else aren't expensive enough already. Now it also might be the fact that Disney is getting more and more involved in politics, even having in terms of the cultural politics of gender identity and that ish, um, topic, you actually have a biological man with a beard, not as good as mine though, Nevertheless, you have a biological man with a beard in a dress, selling a dress to a little girl and playing dress up with her in the Disney dress store. The conservatives and people in the, in the middle, a lot of those people saw that on social media and said, yeah, d dear God, no, we're not going there. Also a dress that's, you know, maybe cost two to three dollars in materials. They're charging like 200 300 dollars for a kid's dress. Who's buying that crap? I, it, it blows my mind how much money people waste these days. So perhaps, perhaps it's uh, that, or maybe it's because they're, you know, putting sexual themes into their movies or putting ideology in movies. Perhaps it's not, it certainly most definitely isn't a single variable analysis. There's not a single variable reason perhaps why the theme parks are decreasing in popularity. There are many reasons and we'll see if Bob Iger can actually reverse the tides. We'll see about that. Now, the only upside is the wait times are a lot shorter. Now, in 2019, a study found that the wait time for a ride was 47 minutes? I can't imagine how much money you're making to waste 47 minutes standing in line for a ride. 
That's basically an hour of your life standing in the Florida heat waiting for a ride that might last what? Where do they last? Like 10 minutes at most? That boggles my mind to no end that people are 47 minutes just standing. Wow. Now, during COVID, the COVID lockdowns, it looks like it was 31 minutes in terms of the wait time to go ride. Now, it's a mere 27 minutes, so about a half hour of your life standing, waiting to go on a ride. So somehow, and this is why I think it's not just the economics or the price, but they have worse wait times than when the country is locked down, which is saying something. So it's gotten that bad. Now, it looks like Disney's Hollywood Studios, which has the Star Wars culture, they say that it's, they saw their third slowest day of the year or the past July 4th. This is according to a company by the name of Touring Plans. The day of the year where most people are taking the day off, presumably they actually celebrate the country's independence, although some reason going to go worship a mouse is beyond me. But nevertheless, they went there with their families and it used to be a very popular attraction. On the most popular vacation days of the year, people didn't go or less and less people went. Which says something. Now, earlier this year, you have Bob Iger, who again came back to be the CEO. He came back to try to turn the company around, and he did a few things around the prices around the theme park, including reinstating some of the freebies for their visitors. Now, the previous business blunder, Bob Chapek, he actually scrapped a bunch of the freebies from the Disney Disney World annual pass holders, including one where they actually charged them to download photos taken during rides and meet and greets with Disney characters, which... Is 2023. Do you not have a smartphone on you? I mean, I can't imagine paying an annual pass and they want to charge you for a little for digital data, which presumably they delete that data at the end of the day. So it doesn't cost them to retain that data or store it. So there's very little overhead costs is what I'm saying behind Disney's costs associated with these digital pictures. Now it looks like also Disney also increased the number of dates that the $104 ticket will be available while decreasing days, it'll charge the highest amount for prices for $179 for adults. Jeez Louise, $179 for a ticket? And then you have to buy food, drinks, toys, all that. It's one of those crazy things where it's it's gotten so comically unaffordable, I can't fathom people still going to visit it these days. I remember back in my day, I came from a uh, middle middle income family household, and my parents had to hustle. And the only reason we were able to afford the opportunity to go to the Orlando Disneyland or Disney World, whatever it's called, is because we had a cousin who also worked at the company, who I believe is a ticket holder, or he, was, um, he worked at the ticket booth. And he was able to get some discount tickets. And even then, it was a stretch for our family, because of course, you had to pay for the plane tickets, the hotels, and then you have all the food and the toys and crap. Now, that being said, at the time, it was a magical date, and I greatly appreciated the opportunity my parents were able to give me, and I still have one of those fun little toys I'll be in my memory box. But throughout the years, it's just becoming so audaciously overpriced. Disney needs to slash prices to really get this to be something that is a staple of the family environment, and also get out of politics. Stop infusing politics, lower the prices. I just gave free advice on how to fix Disney. Whether they take it or not, Probably not, but time shall tell. Other interesting cultural news, you have Disney losing $300 million on two movies. $300 million, just 
gone. It seems to be an ever-increasing trend. Now, in terms of similarities to the movies, you have, they are both CGI animated films, both highly criticized for being political, one of them being Strange World. They had a loss of $197.4 million. Jeez Louise. Now, the film was also featured the first openly gay LGBTQ+. Now, this article is discriminatory because they forgot the Q, they forgot the I and the A and the other ones. So Disney will soon be canceled because they didn't say this right. Now, and an LGBTQ teenage Disney character who discusses his crush with his grandpa, which grandpas love that, I'm sure. So many people attribute the politics of that movie as one of the reasons it failed. You also had the other movie known as Pixar's Lightyear, which Disney owns Pixar Studios. That lost $106 million. Now, there are many reasons why the Pixar movie Lightyear failed. One, because the writers were inebriated perhaps or just stupid one of the one of the two but they actually fired tim allen because he's conservative can't have him being the voice again for all the toy story movies he was the voice he was the character people felt he's a very recognizable voice people fell in love with that character and now you're just going to have some random person voice act for him now this film also had what they claimed to be the first lesbian kiss uh on camera for disney Again, why does a kid movie need these sexual themes in there? I don't know, but Disney thinks it's the utmost important thing to put in the movies. However, I question the authenticity of Disney actually supporting those communities because they removed that kiss for Saudi Arabia and other Middle Eastern countries where those types of acts are banned. If Disney truly believed in those things, they would keep it in the movie everywhere and accept the fact that they're going to lose money in those other countries and protest those countries perhaps refusing to give them the movie. But no, they just simply edited it selectively so they can maximize their profits. Therefore, thereby, in my opinion, questioning their authenticity towards any of these social cultural initiatives. Now, you also have the rumor that they actually put the lesbian kiss back into the US version of the film just to spite Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, or DeSantis, however you want to pronounce it. My way sounded fancier for the time being. But it just goes to show you the Disney magic that used to be going from a company that printed money basically for a living, they're crashing and burning, and I can't imagine them pulling out of that nosedive anytime soon. We'll see if they actually have any luck. Now, other interesting cultural news, and again, perhaps the theme of the day is Disney's demise. You have Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs will now be, yeah, not so much anything like the original at all. Now, Disney recently has lost money on Indiana Jones, which they estimate to lose $100 million. They also had Elemental, which is an animated film, which Disney actually bragged at the time as the first non-binary character. They lost $200 million. You had Lightyear, which lost another $100 million. The Flash lost $200 million. And the only modicum of success they could even call success is they may, and this is a big may, they may break even on Little Mermaid. That's their biggest accomplishment lately, is breaking even? That is terrible for a company like Disney. And again, this is at a time where the CEO, Bob Iger, claims they want to cut production costs dramatically and try to save money and get good ROI. He's not getting that anytime soon with these initiatives. Now, when looking at this recent film, it looks like Disney casted, cast a um, Latina actress as Snow White. And... One of the reasons there's no dwarves in this film 
even though it's called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, it's because of douchebag, I mean, uh, actor Peter Dinklage, who is really only known for being in Game of Thrones. Now, a preview of the movie came out about a year ago where they showed the the Snow White princess would now be a Latina instead of white. And the comment from Peter Dinklage was, quote, I was a little taken aback when they, Disney, were very good at, very proud to cast a Latina actress as Snow White, but you're telling me the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? It makes no sense to me. You're progressive in one way, but you're still effing backwards. Story about seven dwarves living in a cave together. What the F are you doing, man? Have I done nothing to advance the cause from my soapbox? Unquote. Now, perhaps it's because he's so short, even on a soapbox, you can't see him. Pun moderately intended. But it's also, why would you complain about dwarves getting jobs? A Disney film can propel your career. It could be life-changing if it's a good film. Granted, their films aren't really good these days. But nevertheless, getting your face on the silver screen? All it takes is that one pivotal moment to change your entire acting career. And he's saying, oh, no, no, I was able to propel my career, but now, now we're going to pull up that ladder in typical Hollywood two-faced charlatan fashion. Now, it looks like the new cast will have... Not seven dwarves, but it'll have six regular, uh, norm, um, normal height African-Americans, six normal height um, white folks or Germans, and it'll have, I believe, one dwarf. So it's no longer the seven dwarves, it's one dwarf. And there's no Prince Charming. How she wakes up? I don't know. But when asked for comment, they said that they're focused on creating a strong female lead character. It's almost like you could hear a nuclear warning, like, because eh, 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 eh. historically speaking, the past several movies where Disney has tried to inject these themes, they failed epically. That's not saying that you can't have a strong female lead in a movie. Some of the best sci-fi movies include Resident Evil. We had Mila Jovich, one of the greatest actresses in terms of action movies. That, that series is great. One of the cult classics of the sci-fi community is the Alien movie with uh, Sigourney Weaver, another actress. He also had the, what was it, the Underworld movie with Kate Beckinstyle. Those movies knocked it out of the park. They had a female lead, she was strong, but they weren't, she was a strong female lead, but they weren't pushing a message that men are bad or men can't do things. In this case, they've erased the man completely. Astonishing, but not all too surprising. And I don't know who they're making this for. And why don't they just call it a new movie? Because what remains of the original? You don't have a Prince Charming. You really don't have any dwarves anymore. And again, I think a big issue of people in the middle, or because this kind of bleeds into politics, this cultural uh, phenomenon, a lot of people in the middle and the right, they notice that it never happens in Hollywood where you have an African-American character and you recast it as white. Or you recast... I mean, it, it just doesn't happen. Name one, I'll gladly change my statement right there. But it never really happens. Maybe I need to write a, a, a little letter to Disney and say, hey, there's no Cubans in this uh, movie. You should cast me. Now, ironically enough, they'd probably hire me just because of how silly they are, but I feel bad for a lot of the midgets and little people. This could have been a breakthrough moment for their careers. It could propel them to the next level to be a lead in other movies and other films. And because Peter Dinklage thinks it's, he thinks it's un, unbecoming or pejorative, 
He doesn't think anyone should have that. Who is he to make that call for other people? It's nothing... The seven drawers, they're classics. There's nothing pejorative about that role. Watch the original. They're, I, I guess you do have one who's named Angry, so he's not very pleasant to be around, but it's one of those things where it's just very bizarre to see Hollywood make these mistakes again and again and again. And I suspect you're alienating the original audience who saw the original film, so they're not going to appreciate the adaptation. And the new audience, I don't know who they are. I mean, I don't care if, like... My, can't, my family's from a Latin country. We don't care if you re- if um, there's a Latin lead in a movie. We just want to see a good movie like everyone does. It's one of those bizarre things. And culturally speaking, it'll be interesting to see if how many movies will Disney lose money on before they change their methodology. Time shall tell. Granted, thankfully, I'm not a shareholder, so I don't care how, long, how much time it takes. For other people who are shareholders, might be in for a bumpy ride. Now, going on to the political part of the podcast, you have the appeals court blocking the order for the government to stop the social media companies. They actually had another court put it on hold. So recently it was coming to light how much the government was coordinating with social media companies to quite literally censor United States citizens on a myriad of topics. And because it was brought to the forefront, you had a judge actually put an order saying, okay, you cannot coordinate with them anymore. This new Order says, oh, no, you can. So this is an article from a political, uh, Politico, sorry. And it noted that a federal appeals court has put a temporary hold on the district court's judge order restricting a wide swath of federal officials and agencies from communicating with social media companies about content on their platforms. Now, a three-judge panel considering the emergency matters for the New New Orleans-based Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals on Friday granted the Biden administration the request to put the preliminary injunction on hold for now while the case is referred to another court of appeals that will consider longer-term stay of U.S. country, sorry, U.S. District Court Judge Terry Daltrey's independent stay order. The state, while temporary, underscores that Daltrey's ruling is unlikely to be the final word on the issue that is animated the political... Now, Politico is saying this is only animating people... The only people who care about this are on the far right. Or the political right. What about the people in the middle? What about people in the left? People, everyone should be concerned about the government censoring them. It's one of those things where it's just reminiscent of that book, 1984. Apologize. I, I keep telling you, this is not a drinking game. It will be deadly because, unfortunately, modern society is reflecting that book more and more with increased censorship and bullying people into believing 2 plus 2, two, plus two equals 5. Time shall tell to see if, culturally speaking, people push back on these initiatives. But it's not just people who are, on the right, who are on the right who care about censorship. Every true American should be concerned about government censorship. I don't know. It's fascinating to see some politicians use this as try to make this a political issue. It should be a country issue that everyone is concerned about, in my opinion. It'll be interesting to see do more Americans tune into this political issue where we actually have hard proof of the government using social media companies to censor people. That should make everyone irate and immediately vote differently, write to your representatives, hold people accountable. Which, unfortunately, is another word that is lost on most Americans these days. Time shot to LLC, see what the American public does. Now, other interesting political news, you have the FDA saying aspartame is, it's safe. Don't believe the World Health Organization. Now, who do you trust more? That, that, that is a 
That's an interesting, that's a, that's a good question. Who do you trust more with such fine, upstanding institutions that never lie to you or take money or conflicts of interest? Yeah, we're screwed. Now, this is interesting that recently we had the World Health Organization announce that the artificial sweetener known as aspartame may cause cancer, which should concern people because it's in about 9,000 products or so in the United States. Yeah, pretty much damn near everything. Now, the FDA, they say that the studies that were used by the World Health Organization experts relied, they made that conclusion, had, quote, significant shortcomings. Now, FDA scientists, that's, I, I'm, perhaps we should put that in quotes based on their track record, FDA scientists have no safety concerns about the aspartame when the sugar substitute is consumed within the daily recommended limit. It's almost like the FDA is a law firm. The daily recommended limit. Yeah, Americans don't eat anything in the daily recommended limit. You look at any servings, nutrition facts on a bag of candy, like, oh yeah, this little bag of candy, only 60 calories. Well, golly, that can't be bad. Wait, what's it say? Oh, 12 servings in this thing? Yeah, no one reads that crap. They should. I implore people to explore the nutrition facts of everything they put in their bodies. But very few people actually consume things in the recommended daily value. Which, yeah, it's interesting for the FDA. Perhaps they're protecting the businesses behind this because if, we're, if the United States were to reclassify this as a carcinogen or it causes cancer, you have to have thousands of products find a new solution or a new chemical to put in there, which that would cost a lot of money and consumer faith would perhaps also go down from those brands because they're wondering, why the heck, why are, you, why are you trying to give me cancer? What are you doing? Oh, you're only giving me a little microdose of cancer. What? So needless to say, I would trust perhaps more third-party tests and studies around the specific chemical or artificial sweetener. It'll be interesting to see just the news. Perhaps that'll get some people to wake up and realize, dear God, what the hell am I putting in my body? What's in there? I would hope so. But as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, we have the Threads app coming a little bit unraveled. Now, the Threads app is the app that What's a nice way of saying, um, talent, talent, not talentless, um, not moronic, uninspiring, um, Mark Zuckerberg just copy pasted Twitter. Granted, that's also kind of what he did with Facebook when compared to MySpace, but nevertheless, he uh, copy pasted the idea of Twitter where he decided to have an app with an app with an app. You have the popular picture app known as Instagram. He had a sub app known as Threads, which they launched, I believe, two and a half weeks ago. And it quickly gained 100 million users in the first, I believe, five or six days. Partially because there's mainly people with the threads or the Instagram app just clicking an extra button and signing their soul away and all their data privacy away by saying, yeah, let's try out this new app and see what it is. Unfortunately, it quickly became a political echo chamber and lost most interest in most people, in my opinion. Now, this is according to XEOS, and they did a study where they compared last week, Tuesday and Wednesday with the number of active users Compared to the previous weeks, they were down 20% on the Threads app. Now, they also noted that the time spent on the app, which if you're an app company, that is one of the most paramount, most important metrics that you can possibly care about because that's what you sell to advertisers. A lot of these apps, they don't charge anything partially because advertisers pay dollars to put their logo three inches away from your, from your eyeballs. And when you're going to advertisers, you're going to go to them and say, hey, Bobby over there, he spends... He wastes 90 minutes of his life every day on your stupid app. Give us money and we'll put the logo right there in front of his eyeballs. And in theory, he'll want to buy your 
aspartame-infused sodas, perhaps. Now, in this case, the time that the actual user uses on the app, it dropped from 20 minutes to 10 minutes. Now, I know math scores in the United States and school scores and every, pretty much every topic from history to science is at an all-time low, thanks to public schools, which they keep saying they need more money, but okay, they've been doing that for years. But nevertheless, it's at an all-time low for text scores, so I'll do a little math lesson today. 10 minutes is half of 20 minutes. That's a 50% decrease. The more you know. So they lost a 50%. That's an astronomical bad statistic. If you're trying to sell things to advertisers, it just got cut in half. Now, it's also one of those things where you do see a huge increase in the beginning of most apps, TV shows, podcasts. The first episode gets a lot more than the second episode. You saw this even with Tucker Carlson when he had his very first full-length video production on Twitter when he left Fox News because Fox was dumb enough to fire the most well-known talent. Now, his first Twitter episode got 110 million impressions. Now, subsequently, his Andrew with Andrew, Andrew Tate, which was a very big interview, that got about 70 million impressions. So even though it was a big interview, it wasn't as big as the very first one Partially because there's a lot of curiosity when there's something new. A lot of people to tune in for the first time to check it out. And Threads also had this false adoption rate where all you had to, if you already had Instagram, it was just an extra button. So, and we don't yet know the data in terms of how many people are organically downloading it, as in they have it on their phone, they're downloading it, they're signing up for it separately versus, oh, I have Instagram, three more clicks, I now have a profile on the Threads app. Well, that burden to sign up, that effort level is much, much lower. And that's, that's why the adoption rate was so quickly and so great in that first week. And time shall tell to see, are people going to still keep tuning into this, into the most censored platform out there? Keep in mind, Facebook owns this crap. Facebook, even if it's just a movie advertising on Facebook, it'll, sell, it'll tell me like 20 comments. And I'll click on it, it'll only tell you two. Then you have to click down and say, show all of them. And it'll show maybe half of them or half of the ones hidden are saying they hate the movie. Maybe 10% are making fun of the movie. And then 20% are spam, like buy my healthcare, you know, buy my supplements or something like that. But a lot of real opinions are all censored on Facebook. And it's already happening on the Threads app. They're pushing certain political ideologies, propping up certain politicians, and pushing that content into people where they don't want to see that. So... Will the adoption rate go down? Will it decrease or will it actually, will the total number of users decrease? They've brilliantly held people hostage, so to say, because if you delete your Threads app, you also delete your Instagram app, which is a much more popular app people are addicted to. So I don't know if we'll see that much of a decrease in the user count. However, I think in terms of active users, we will see that number start to decrease over the next couple of weeks. And time shall tell to see if it's truly a competitor to Twitter or if it simply crashes and burns like many of Mark Zuckerberg's initiatives and ideas. Time, as I always say, shall tell. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. I especially want to thank you for taking time to subscribe. Trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of July. Greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to take time to like the video as well as let me have a couple comments in there so that we could constantly make the show better and better. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, Tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone, just stay safe and fight the good fight.